The uh, prophet Nahum uh, prophesied, we estimate, sometime between uh, 663 and 612 B.C. His words in his book are that of uh, judgment, heavy judgment against the nation of Assyria, but specifically the city of Nineveh. His purpose was also to comfort the, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah with a message of truth and hope. And the message that comes out of Nahum is that God is big, God is holy, God is majestic, God is righteous. God is the one who has the right to judge. And sometimes God judges harshly to those who are living and behaving in ways that are in opposition to God. And so with that as an introduction, I want to invite you to join me in our first scripture reading of the morning. We are continuing our sermon series on the minor prophets. We've hit the halfway point. Now we go to the second half with the prophet Nahum, and specifically Nahum chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. An oracle concerning Nineveh, the book of the vision of Nahum of Elkosh. A jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and rages against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. His way is in whirlwind and storm, and the clouds are the dust of his feet. He rebukes the sea and makes it dry, and he dries up all the rivers, Bashan and Carmel wither, and the bloom of Lebanon fades. The mountains quake before him, and the hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all who live in it. Who can stand before his indignation? Who can endure the heat of his anger? His wrath is poured out like fire, and by him the rocks are broken in pieces. The Lord is good, a stronghold in a day of trouble. He protects those who take refuge in him. And friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, have you ever noticed that sometimes uh, bad news turns out to be good news. Uh, Pat Neff, the uh, former governor of Texas and later the uh, president of Baylor University, tells the story of school, uh, two school teachers who met back on their college campus that they attended after several years. And they started talking to each other, and the first lady said to her friend, I've gotten married recently. And the second lady said, oh, that, that's wonderful. And the first said, well, I don't know about that. My husband is twice as old as I am. And the second lady said, oh, that's, that's bad. And the first said, well, I don't know about that. He's worth $10 million. And the second one said, oh, that's good. And the first said, well, I don't know about that. He won't give me a plug nickel. And the second said, oh, that's bad. The first said, well, I don't know about that. He built me a $500,000 house. And the second one said, oh, that's good. And the first said, well, I don't know about that. The house burned down last week. And the second one said, oh, that's bad. And the first one said to her friend, well, I don't know about that. You see, he was in it. <laughs> in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 18, the Apostle Paul unleashes on what may be the most devastating critique of human beings ever written. 
he uses words that at first glance seem like really, really bad news, awful news, terrible news, with this intent to, to punish us. He wields these words like a scalpel, though, and that hurts like you know what, but it's in order to heal us, to bring us the good news of God's love, care, and forgiveness. I'd like for us to take a look at this New Testament passage from the Apostle Paul, and I'm going to be reading from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of those who by their wickedness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Ever since the creation of the world, his eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things he has made. So they are without excuse. For though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling a mortal human being, or birds, or four-footed animals, or reptiles. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the degrading of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in a moment of prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, uh, although we may uh, cringe to hear these uh, stinging words of accusation that are directed and targeted at us, we pray that you would open our hearts to let us hear them, heed them, and trust them knowing that even when you speak sternly to us as your children, you do so out of love. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On my uh, list of favorite things to do, uh, preaching on sin has to rank somewhere far below me eating liver and onions. And yet, whenever I am tempted to want to try to avoid this topic, I'm reminded of a story that highlights why it is important for me to do this with you today. There was a doctor and one of his patients who became very close friends. They socialized together, they golfed together, they ate together, they were friends. And during this man's annual physical checkup, the doctor began to skip certain delicate procedures in his examination because his friend was rather squeamish about these things. And as a result, by the time they found out that the man had prostate cancer, it was too late for any effective treatment. You see, doctors and preachers sometimes need to get clinical. If something is wrong spiritually, we need to know what it is so that we can do something about it. So let me ask you a question. When was the last time you had the courage to say to someone you know, I'm very concerned 
about you burning the candle at both ends because I can see what it is doing to your marriage and family. I think and hope and pray you will try to rearrange your schedule to spend more time with them. Or for you to say to a friend, I'm really concerned about the amount of alcohol you're consuming. I can see what it is doing to you. I only say this because I care about you. Or to say to that unchurched friend or neighbor or person at work, you know, we've known each other for a long time now. Have you ever considered the need in your life for Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord? To love them enough in a way that is tough but tender. To love them enough that they can hear the truth even if it's hard to hear. As we look at Romans chapter 1, verse 18 this morning, something is clearly wrong. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness. Now, when we hear the phrase, the wrath of God, most of us, I think, picture this mighty bolt of lightning coming down from heaven and striking down cities like Sodom and Gomorrah, leaving them in some kind of smoldering ruin. We can even imagine, I bet, that we might be on the receiving end of that judgment and that we would be nothing more than ashes as well. Well, for Nahum the prophet, God's impending judgment was going to leave the city of Nineveh in smoky ruins. It says in Nahum chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, which I read earlier, the Lord takes vengeance on his adversaries and rages against his enemies. The Lord is slow to anger, but great in power. And the Lord will by no means clear the guilty. It's interesting to me that even though Nahum's name means comfort, there is going to be no comfort for the city of Nineveh. The city is going to fall. Nahum calls Nineveh a city of violence, because of its blood and, and all guts and things going on there. He calls it a city full of lies because of its deceit. Nineveh is also indicted because of its plundering of surrounding nations and because it's a nation that practices witchcraft. And so it had to stop. As it says, a jealous and avenging God is the Lord. The Lord is avenging and full of wrath. Now, the Apostle Paul, the wrath of God looked a bit different. In verse 24, and then later in verse 26, and then again in verse 28, which were not part of our scripture reading this morning, Paul repeats a particular phrase when he is talking about God's wrath. He writes in verse 24, which you heard, therefore God gave them up in their lusts of the hearts to impurity. Then in verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to degrading passions. And then in verse 28, and since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. For the Apostle Paul, God's wrath did not come in a form of violence against us. Instead, God does something even more painful. God withdraws from us. When I was a young teenager, I was going through one of those uh, rocky periods of adolescence which parents just absolutely dread. It's when you think you have all the answers and your parents don't have a clue. Now, this may come as a shock to you, but growing up, I was a bit of a smart mouth. 
shocking, I know. And one time, I'm sure it was more than one time, one time I remember, I, I mouthed off at the dinner table. And so I went with my father to the back into the bedroom as he was going to correct my behavior. And after listening to my dad's reprimand, I said defiantly, defiantly, oh yeah, well you can't make me and I can do whatever I want to do. My dad just shrugged his shoulders and said, it's your life. And I looked back at him and said, then why don't you give it back to me? Now, it is only by the grace of God that I am alive to tell you this story today. When I said that to him, my dad didn't say a word. He just stared at me with this really disappointed look on his face. And then he shook his head, he walked out of the room, and he quietly closed the door behind him. I felt good about myself for about 13 seconds. And then it felt like the loneliest moment of my life. That was how my father expressed wrath, at least that time. He, he gave me up that dark little world that I had created for myself. Christians are often asked the question, maybe you've been asked the question too, how in the world can God send people to hell? Maybe you've had that. Well, friends, God doesn't send anybody to hell. God fights us tooth and nail all the way to hell. But if we constantly want to defy and disobey God's will, then at some point, God acquiesces. You see, there are consequences when we demand independence and autonomy from God. We are the ones who suffer the consequences of alienation, alienation from God and alienation from one another. Whenever we try to get away from God, we are just forgetting all about who he is. During the uh, construction of Emerson Hall at Harvard University, the president at the time, Charles Eliot, invited the philosopher William James to suggest an inscription that would be carved on the outside of the front of that stone building. And after some thought, William James sent President Eliot a line and it was from the Greek philosopher Protagoras. The line was, man is the measure of all things. But then President Charles Eliot remembered something that William James had obviously forgotten. We don't walk alone. And so he actually replaced William James' suggestion with words that come from Psalm chapter 8, verse 4, in the old King James Version. What is man that thou art mindful of him, meaning God? What is man that thou art mindful of him? Now, the difference between those two lines from Protagoras and from the psalmist are the difference in how we live out our lives of faith. Can we do it by ourselves? Should we do it by ourselves? Should we live as Lone Ranger Christians? Or do we rely upon the grace of God and the promises of the good news of the gospel? It's like a bumper sticker I saw one time on the back of a car. It said, I have Jesus, and that's enough.
and it is enough. It's more than enough because we get to walk with Jesus and have fellowship with him. He becomes our Lord, our Savior, and our friend. As that wonderful hymn goes, for he walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. And then one of the other consequences is that we are alienated from other people. You know, the city of Nineveh had walls around it that were just about as high as the heavens. It is estimated that the walls were about 100 feet high. In fact, some of the towers went 200 feet high. The walls, in fact, were so wide on the top that you could drive two chariots side by side. And yet, in the year 616 BC, the Medes came up against Nineveh. There was this terrible flood in the Tigris River, and the great walls collapsed and crumbled by the water. It says in Nahum 2.6, the river gates are thrown open and the palace collapses. There's lots of ways in which we alienate from other people. One of the ways I think we alienate from each other is with walls of prejudice. The former Senator Daniel Inouye, his grandfather moved from Japan to Hawaii in order to pay off a family debt. And Daniel Inouye was only 20 years old when he earned a battlefield commendation for heroism. This was in Italy during World War II. He charged a German machine gun nest with a, with a hand grenade, hurled that hand grenade, and in, in, in the turn took a bullet right in the stomach. He kept going, and then he took a hand grenade that blew off his right arm. He still kept charging, and then he took a bullet in the right leg. He was given the Distinguished Service Cross, the Bronze Medal for Heroism, and he was made a captain. After he returned home from the war, he stopped into a San Francisco barber shop to get a haircut. And the barber said to him, we don't serve Japs here, and slammed the door in his face. Daniel Inouye says the memories of that day still haunt him. Well, we have walls in this country, don't we? We have walls of prejudice that need to crumble and collapse in race, in ethnicity, in politics, in socioeconomic status, and in matters of faith. So this morning, let me ask, are you tired of the darkness that comes in that autonomy and isolation? Are you feeling the pain of alienation in your relationship with God or with other people? Friends, my word to you is to draw near to God. Draw near to Jesus Christ, God's Son, our Savior and Lord, who will bring you a brand new life, both in this world and the next. We've heard the bad news about ourselves, but guess what? Our good God is not finished with us just yet. In the movie, The Mission, which is set in the 1750s uh, South American jungle, a mercenary and slaver, Rodrigo Mendoza, who's played by Robert De Niro, makes his living kidnapping natives and selling them to nearby plantations. After killing his own brother in a duel over his fiancee, he's acquitted, but then he spirals into a deep depression. 
Father Gabriel, a Jesuit priest played by Jeremy Irons, challenges Mendoza to undertake a suitable penance. And Mendoza accompanies the Jesuits on this journey, and he's dragging behind them this huge net, this heavy load that includes things like his armor and sword, all through the rugged terrain of that jungle. And finally, he can't drag that bundle anymore. And the natives embrace this tearful Mendoza, and then they cut away that heavy load. Friends, Jesus Christ came and died and rose again in order to release us from our net of regrets. He died to win our freedom, which is the good news. He died to win our freedom from the power of sin, which is the best news. And so, friends, we don't have to put ourselves under sin's ugly thumb. We don't need to stay locked in a prison cell. We don't need to carry around the burden of, of the consequences of our heavy baggage. Because even in the midst of God's judgment and wrath, we can still discover his comfort, hope, and redemption as his beloved children. And we can begin living the life that God has created us to be as he welcomes us with a new identity in Jesus Christ. Would you join me in prayer? Let us pray. Lord God, as we uh, read Paul's words here, we uh, face this um, harsh truth about ourselves as, as human beings. We're sorry for the destructive things we have done, our, our selfishness that has alienated us from you and other people. God, we, we thank you for leveling with us so that we know the peril we are in without you. Help us to die this morning, to die to our sins, to die to the idolatry of being our own God and having to be in control of everything. Heal our relationships, the ones with others, and of course, with you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.